in the Me Too generation, so I have to be very gentle. You wouldn't have your job if you weren't beautiful. It's very sad. I wouldn't choose to be alone with him. This is a journey. Love tweeted Saturday saying, although I wasn't one of his victims, I was eternally banned by CAA for speaking out against Harvey Weinstein. New dimension, new value. For years, men have been getting a whole pizza delivered to them every day, and now women just want half of the pizza, and men are like, what? Why the fuck am I getting half a pizza all of a sudden? There seems to be, seems to be vital signs of people rushing to take offence to catcalling and wolf whistling. Now, the only people who are taking offence to this are extreme feminists. It's a genius thing that the patriarchy have done. They have made gender-based violence a thing that women deal with. And it's not their problem, it's men's problem. Please, sir, would you mind saying that again? One day I saw a guy trying to take a picture of my skirt. I was getting out of the car with bags and a dog. I didn't actually realise until the picture was in the paper and someone printed this shit. This sort of behaviour, we have to adopt a zero tolerance policy. I think the world's gone mad. Somebody brushed your knee 15 years ago. This is complete nonsense. Now, it's not doing the reputation of Parliament any good. And I can't believe that women are being so wimpish these days. Oh, my God. Feminism is not about females being powerful, it's about redressing a balance and it's about equality. And feminism is a very necessary thing for young men to have. And if you want to know, if you think you're a feminist, let a woman pay for your dinner and see how you feel about that. If you're cool with that, you're a feminist. If you're not, you need to look at yourself. You're very welcome to Men Behaving Better, episode three with me, Jarlath Regan. Boy, oh boy, do we have an episode for you today. Recorded live at Soho Theatre this week in front of a packed house. A special audience this week, in fact, of uh, Fox employees. My thanks to Fox for getting behind the show, supporting the show as a company. They uh, really got behind us and filled the room with a bunch of absolutely superb employees who wanted to hear the type of conversation that we do on Men Behaving Better. If you'd like to hear more of this kind of thing, we have extended cuts, exclusive videos, bonus material, covering more and getting into greater depth soon on our premium feed. That's patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad. You go over there, you sign up and you get access to all our premium content, uh, full length episodes, inclusion in all our early access sales for tickets for our future events and loads of other content, including interviews with other legends like Sharon Horgan, Bridget Christie, Louise O'Neill, and many, many more besides. You'll be supporting the work we're doing and helping us to make more of what we have uh, made already. It's a nuanced conversation on this very important subject, and I'm delighted that you've taken the time to download it. I want to say a quick word of thanks as well to our guests, Sarah Pascoe, Sindhu V., and of course, Brett Goldstein. More details on all of them can be found in our info if you'd like to see them on tour. All three are performing stand-up up and down the UK at the moment. But finally, I want to give one quick shout out to our next live event, December 6th at the Other Palace Theatre. Uh, Ramesh Ranganathan, Sophie Hagen, uh, Felicity Ward, Catherine Bohart, Eleanor Tiernan and Carl Donnelly will be recording two full episodes. It's a big bumper Christmas show, December 6th. Tickets are on sale now from Other Palace. 
www.dotco.uk. Uh, I've put the link in the info as well. We'd love to have you there. If you're a patron of the podcast, you obviously get your discount code, but it'd be great to have a packed house for our final show of the year. Now let's get to it. It's episode three of Men Behaving Better. Thank you guys so much for coming along to this episode of Men Behaving Better. Boy, oh boy, do we have an episode for you today. The subject that we're going to cover, and the kid, I guess it's the jumping off point more than the subject. The conversation will go many different directions, I'd imagine. But the start is the question of uh, fatigue. I know it's something that many men seem to suffer from a great deal. It's dealt with usually uh, using naps, uh, <laughs> which are a performance-enhancing activity that I fully endorse. Uh, naps are, have been keeping me going for many, many years. All through my college years, I was capable of napping under any table in any room, regardless of where it is. But uh, when I reach an, uh, an older stage in my life, I started to uh, get involved in energy drinks and coffee. But when the fatigue enters into something as important as the Me Too movement and Time's Up, I feel like it needs to be talked about. Uh, we need to address it, and we need to ask where is the fatigue coming from? To discuss that with me, to start with, I'm going to bring out our first guest. Brett Goldstein is an award-winning actor, comedian, and writer whom you probably know from such triumphs as Derek and the superb movie Superbob, a movie he also wrote. His new podcast, Films to be Buried With, has become an instant classic, and I'm absolutely delighted to have him here today. Will you please put your hands together for Brett Goldstein? <laughs> Grab a mic there. Hello. Hey, <laughs> thanks a lot for coming, Brett. Uh, what an incredible introduction. Yeah, I, I worked on that. Thank I, uh, you. I wrote that earlier on. I'm, al I'm always anxious. I'm glad about you got my email that I said read out word for word. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Brett, I, I guess the place to start is because the each episode begins with the male guest coming out and yes. us talking about it with, without our female friends here and kind of being a little more honest with each other than I tend to be normally. I would feel that I'm surrounded by guys that aren't fatigued by me too yeah. I feel like I've got a bunch of woke friends but then I see Sean Penn and the likes yeah. saying that it's it's turning men on women and all I can think is where and why do you think people are saying this firstly uh Yes, you bring out a man so that then we shut up. <laughs> yeah, Is that then right? we listen after we that. Listen. Yeah, okay. yeah, we get uh, set straight after that. Uh, yeah. Okay, good. Why do I think, like Sean Penn, for example, has said? Well, yeah, where silly. does it come from? Is it just men because are just easily tired by stuff? No, because it doesn't suit. I think the things that it's working to combat, if that is the word, are things that have benefited people like that, mm. and so of course they don't want it to change because it's getting in the way of their good time is that yeah I guess there is a, to a degree that has to be the case but if we're to give Sean Penn the benefit of the doubt okay. right <laughs> and, and say okay so Sean Penn is not tired of me too because he thinks hey the good times are going to end for me yeah. if, if we allow this to happen he got a lot of praise for what he said he had a lot of people jumping on board saying oh, oh this he's finally somebody saying it where does that come from, in your opinion? I don't know. Uh, 
is the truth. But I think it is because it's not a quick fix because the issue is much bigger and broader and will require a huge amount of work from mm. sort of everyone from top to bottom and from raising your kids to what we do in schools to everything that I think there's like a splashy bit at the beginning something like Harvey Weinstein is like it's a good it's a good story because it's exciting and it's like look at this monster and that's like an easy thing to it's like sensational so people get excited but then when you come down to the middle where everyone is and where we're actually looking at how we treat each other and things like that it's like well there's no tweet to solve it mm. <laughs> you know it's a lot it's never ending yeah well hopefully it is but as in it's not going to be fixed in a week yeah sure and we actually don't there's still things to be discussed and things to be heard and things so we go oh, it was fun when it was all sensational and now it's well, well, what we're trying to create here is a nuanced conversation yeah. about a very difficult thing. And I guess that's what you were speaking to there, is that this isn't as simple as let everybody get their tweets out, let the hashtag <laughs> get done, and yeah. then can't we stop talking about it then? That this is a paradigm shift and the earth shifting on its axis in terms of how we as men treat women. Like, yeah. you and I yeah. have to take ownership yeah. of what we do and yeah. what we understand as wrong have you had that awakening in yourself or do you feel that you were pretty okay up to now that was pretty good <laughs> uh, <laughs> no I think I think there is, what is interesting is that I always thought I was aware I thought only until like if I'm very honest like two years ago probably I always thought I know I am a feminist and I understand women's issues and I, and I get it and I'm sensitive and I I, I always thought, oh, yeah, I get it. And it's only the more and more stuff I'm reading and talking to my girlfriend and talking to people where you go, fucking hell, I didn't know the extent of, just for example, you know, catcalling in the street. I didn't really understand that for women, it's a fucking war zone. <laughs> you walk outside mm -hmm. and no one is yeah. seemingly safe from, I didn't realize the extent of stuff like that. I think I'd always thought like, yeah, I mean, it must happen occasionally. I didn't realize it's, no, it's don't leave your house. <laughs> and... So there are things where I suppose my understanding has is growing. Right. Where I thought, yeah, I get it. And now I'm like, oh, I don't. Well, and I think that uh, each episode, our, our male guest tends to uh, talk about the, a very, the very same thing that most of our audience members recognize too, which is that for me it was this realization that yeah. before I came into contact with feminist theory and I started listening and reading things, listening mainly, I had been afraid for my life on the street late at night three times in my existence. And I was shocked and appalled to realize that that was a daily occurrence for most women. I don't get how there can be fatigue over attempting to rectify that in some way, shape or form. But it is, it is a real thing. And perhaps part of it as has been uh, detailed in the last month or so is the lumping in of cases such as Aziz Ansari with Bill Cosby to talk about the differences between those cases and maybe to get a little bit deeper into where the fatigue emanates from I want to bring on our next two guests our, uh, Sindhu V uh, is someone who has appeared on Have I Got News For You live at the Apollo and she's taken the comedy world by storm in the last year particularly you can catch her every week on Radio 4 as the host of Comedy for the Week or you can see her now ladies and gentlemen Sindhu V Thank you. 
Uh, joining Sindhu on the couch or the assorted set of three chairs is Sarah Pascoe. Sarah Pascoe is, of course, a writer, actor and comedian you will know from her hundreds of appearances on the TV and radio. Her first book, Animal, the autobiography of a female body, is an absolute must-read for any man attempting to be better. Will you please put your hands together for Sarah Pascoe, everyone. <laughs> Um, is the thing that you two get most tired of uh, listening to is two men fumbling around in the dark in the way that Brett and I just did? Or, <laughs> or, or is that heartening to hear in terms of your own fatigue first? I don't get tired of it. I, I was saying to Brett earlier, something that I've become very compassionate about is um, men and feminism because of what's been happening in terms of criticism of white feminists and their subjectivity and their parochialness. And um, it's made me understand what it's like when you're trying to be a good guy and you've got it wrong, and someone explaining to you why you've got it wrong. You, you get this defensiveness. It's like, but I am not the... And it's, it's, it's been a real learning experience for me. How do guys tend to get it wrong, to start with, before we go anywhere else But it's not about this. guys, it's about everyone. All of us have a subjective experience, and adulthood you just involves learning again and again. Every time you think you've got the answers and you understand, someone tells you a new piece of information, you hear another story. Mm. And so I think as long as there's always movement going on, it's always going in a better direction... That that's it, yeah. yeah. What about you, Sindhu? Is there, like, I often think that when I, when I speak to uh, women and activists that I've had on the show, I wonder, do they get tired of the consistent need to continue campaigning, to continue working towards this? Surely there's a time when you feel like you, like you must grow tired of the are women funny question that consistently got leveled for many years. Yeah, I think the work of a society being better is never done. I think there are huge peaks, as we're seeing now, where there's a lot of angst and there's a lot of stuff coming out. It's kind of you're in a state of crisis. But even otherwise, and I think Sarah said this earlier, before hashtag Me Too, there was hashtag Everyday Sexism. Do you know? I don't. I wonder what will happen if one day everything becomes okay. That I don't know what will be left. <laughs> you know? Then we'll just be down to us telling our kids to do their homework. Like that's all that will be left. You know what I mean? So I think that, I think, yeah, I mean, of course you get tired of hearing some stuff. Some of it is just wrong when people say, oh, are women funny? I'm already not paying attention to them. But that question only gets asked by journalists, usually from The Guardian. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it uh, doesn't actually happen in our lives. It's what never. happens is before Edinburgh, they need to fill a word count, mm -hmm. and they just want to get you angry. And they, and, well, and they just want to say, so what do you think about people saying that women are not funny? And so I'm I like, only ever hear it from you. It's only you every year telling me. <laughs> yeah. before Edinburgh. And I'm like, why are we talking about this? Yeah. Because, you know, I haven't yeah. heard it on the circuit no one all of our gigs are full of people mm. like, like, they're just full of people yeah, yeah exactly so there's that but you know in general I think it isn't I don't think it's tiring to be involved with trying to understand something better and as for you two fumbling around in the dark do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. that whole thing I am so happy that it's being spoken about because if these conversations don't take place then we're not going to understand each other and also younger people are not going to know what is possible. You know what I mean? Like nothing was, is fixed, but again, Sarah was talking about it earlier, for young teenage men to see what happened in the US with the Supreme Court, that is an important thing to see. You know, and I mean, just because it wasn't said 20 years ago doesn't mean it shouldn't have been said. 
Mm. And uh, I guess then let's let's start at the beginning then with what Brett and I addressed, being the actual movement itself, the the uh, sense that you get and the the words that are often shared among guys, you know, privately over pints. Fellas will tell you the truth, right? Guys, can we get a, a a sense of that from the audience in the in the room? That guys will occasionally lean into you and give you an opinion, which they go, I know this wouldn't be popular if I was to tweet it, but aren't you X, Y, and Z following racist, sexist comment about whatever it is that's going on right now in the news? And I've heard it a bunch of times that, I mean, when is this going to end? Why do? Why is this still going on? And also, don't you feel? in the countless articles that have been written about how this is lowering the standard for uh, proof needed to get a conviction or to find someone guilty in the media. I think there's two separate discussions because legally there aren't any great advances going on. This discussion isn't really helping how we find people guilty and then punish them to an extent that we would all agree would be... um, Meritable, that's not quite the right word, but deserving of the crime. What's happening is everyone's doing things in public and that's becoming a form of punishment. Yeah. But it's usually the people telling you this is no form of punishment who are talking about it in public and are actually doing that thing. Mm-hmm. Quite often the people are the first to go, well, this shouldn't be happening. Like, they're excited about it. They're the people loving this juicy gossip. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned backstage the idea of novelty being the core of fatigue, that... If we can recognize to start with that it's lack of novelty that produces the sense of, oh, God, I'm tired of this. Can you maybe explain that a bit further? Oh, I think, well, actually, even when you said the, 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 the context for this today was about fatigue, I think if you hear the same things from the same people over and over again, and actually because of the way that we engage with media now, some people, the people who are fatigued, it's because of that. I think um, the minute you change where you get your information from and who you're listening to, you'll find that there's a whole diversity of arguments you haven't heard before. Mm. And you're thinking about things from a different angle in a different way. And sometimes that can be people you absolutely disagree with. So when you say that the conversation that goes on in the pub, especially if it's an all-male environment, was them saying you can't say this anymore, I find that fascinating because that conversation always stops when I'm in the room. It doesn't yeah. if I'm in a taxi. They, they, they're there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They will tell me. Yeah, yeah. Really will. It's yeah. the beginning of one of those conversations. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sindhu, people might not know that your background is banking. Prior to being the successful stand-up comedian that you are today and mother, you were working in banking. And I'd imagine that like many of the people in the audience today, you were involved in quite a few inclusivity weeks and yeah. attempts to uh, instill or engender a sensitivity and an understanding, a tolerance, uh, a, a prizing of diversity towards strengthening the company. And in that way, it can produce its own fatigue of its own, people getting tired of that in the business that they find themselves. Did you find that? Um, well, first of all, no investment bank ever brings you out for a comedy night in the mi- or comedy <laughs> event in the middle of the day. So that's well done, Fox. Um, um, no, I think, again, in banking, there's two different things going on. One is trying to make the workforce more diverse, which banking has really works hard at. Honestly, they do, and I can't, I can't deny it. So that was never tiring because that was just good. And again, it was that same thing. Fewer women are coming, so we have fewer women. But, you know, but now they've changed that. And that's really just 
gone very well. Then you have the trading floor where you are 15 hours of the day with various people and that can be a little tricky. However, compared to comedy, I'll say the policing of that is severe. Do you see what I mean? So if a trader was to say anything you didn't like and you're a woman and you wrote an email, it's just literally they would just be hell to pay for them because big money is involved. And is that within the last, like wh when are we talking about that in was the, the last, case? I would say last 15, 20 years. Hell to pay meaning hell to you're pay done. Meaning, well, the bank would, ta would take your side because frankly you would go out and sue the bank. They wouldn't stand mm. a chance in court. Right. And I mean, and I'm brown. Like I was the trifecta. When I was pregnant, I was a woman who was pregnant who was brown. Everyone was just so nice to me all the time. <laughs> Literally, you know, it was, they were so nice to me. So I think it's a, I think some of the change has to come literally from sanctions. And these sanctions were in place, and once they were in place, people behaved properly, and then that sort of became the habit. It became weird if you didn't behave properly. And so mm. sanctions are important. The fatigue, okay, the fatigue was like every time they had a, a, a little movie or a brochure to get people to apply, I was always the one they picked. They were like, <laughs> oh, could you please stand here and say how great this place is? And in the beginning, when I was new, I thought, oh, that's because I'm so good at my job. <laughs> and then, like, in year five, I was like, no, this is because I'm a brown woman. Um, which was fine, too, because you got the day off. Uh, it was great. I, I didn't care. I literally didn't care. So that was a little bit tiring. But, you know, I think banking is a different kind of thing because there's a lot of merit involved in getting there in the first place. That's really not about gender. It's just about grades, what university you went to. The one thing about banking, and I can't speak for it today, but when I was in banking, which was a decade ago, was there was a massive pay gap. And that's something no one would look at. Just no one wanted to hear about it. And that wasn't really something you could take them to court about because these are all numbers are all hidden. And it became tiring to hear the lip service around that. But, you know, if you, I, 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 would, I preferred being tired of hearing it than it not being spoken about because mm. eventually if you keep drawing attention to stuff, the chinks will form and correct information will start flowing and change will come. Right. Yeah, and that's why you push through fatigue because yes, yeah, sometimes exactly. we get bored about hearing about things that are very important in politics mm -hmm. and some days you go, I don't want to hear about it today. I don't, I don't yeah. want to hear that person's name, etc., etc. But as long as someone's talking about it. It's very important. Yeah. Now that we've identified the fatigue, where it comes from, what do we do about it? Now, wh how, do we, how do we push through? What is the method through which we go, we're not putting a pin in that. We're not going to accept the eye roll. What's come up in a lot of episodes, Brett, uh, is calling it out when you see it. Talk to me about your experience and your willingness to call it out when someone, a man in your vicinity, is guilty of saying something you don't agree with, whether that's in a WhatsApp group or in public. Are you someone who does that and do you wrestle with it? Uh, I can't think top of my head of it happening. The thing I think I'm very lucky, and I only realise this, is that comedians generally are very like thoughtful, sort of clued up people who read a lot of stuff and knows a lot of stuff. And I only realised recently how fucking lucky I am that most of the people I hang out with are comedians in terms of 
I'm rarely hanging out with people who are fucking idiots and well, saying I, I disagree. terrible yeah, things. I disagree. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I disagree big time. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, right. I, I'm going to pick something up. Right, yeah. okay. So Andrew Lawrence is a comedian, and he spoke out publicly, and he said something that lots of male comedians think, lots of white male comedians in particular think. And um, what actually happened was a lot of uh, more successful men called him out in articles that they wrote for respected newspapers um, and you're not going to say what it is he said it was something that a lot of male comedians said agreed oh, with so, um, there's diversity hiring on television has started in the last decade and it became very open that there was a quota on BBC shows of women and there is also a huge amount of effort to have uh, people who've got different physical abilities and people who are from different races and backgrounds mm -hmm. so, uh, all these kind of things and they, but they were especially open about the one woman rule now comedy because it's a live thing and people come to see you if they want to see you, for lots of people has to be meritocratic, as in people come for you and you do not get to skip the queue because you don't have a penis, because there's only one in 20 of you or because you've got this kind of mm -hmm. different racial background to me. And what he essentially said was, he didn't use his words, but these people aren't as good as me and they're getting the job because they're not a white male ahead of me. Okay. Lots of men think that. Lot, I've met so many men who think women have, have stolen their careers or brown people. Well, I yeah. mean, someone has said to me, well, you know, you're really funny, a comic. Nice enough guy, I thought. Mm. Um, said to me, oh, you're really funny. But of course, you know, I mean, I don't want to be weird, but, you know, it helps. It helps. And I was like, and I was waiting for him to say it helps that you have such great hair. <laughs> or, you know, your legs are so amazing. Great hair. I was waiting for something yeah. like, you know, a little hit of adrenaline and I can go home after the gig. Um, and he said, but, you know, it helps, it helps. And I was like, and he said, you know, that you have a different racial perspective. And I was like, dude, it is not helpful in any way that I'm Indian in anything. In some things, it doesn't help at all. But the, you know, but he can't. Yeah. But he, and he, he wasn't even saying it angrily. No, he was saying it like this is a thing. So though I heard lots of men in private saying, but "Andrew Lawrence is right. He's just said it in a really hateful way." And they and, and, and but what they did publicly was say, "Oh my God, what an asshole!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So are these friends of yours that are saying that, and do you call it out in that situation? Because again, we, Look, we are looking at an audience this, here outside yeah, of this room this and in I mean this room who want guidance on this. We all this. have a narrative about why we don't have what we should have. Lots of comedians overestimate how good they are because they only hear their applause and their laughter. Mm -hmm. So I gig with a lot of men who think that they are better than me. And sometimes they have done gigs where they have done better than me. Now, in that narrative, how unfair is the world? How unfair is the world? There are, there are men who are in their 50s who used to own this career who, who can't get on television now. And it's true, they can't. And rather than them thinking, oh, I should maybe try and think about something more, I, I should maybe stop with the homophobia. Yeah. I, I should maybe like, stop being so, um, something like, oh, I think it's very untrendy now, oh, being horrible about fat people. Right? That is a really unfashionable kind of comedy, and it's not going to get you on television. And rather than them thinking, that's why they can't get on television, yeah. they go, because you're there, sitting in my seat. Yeah. Mm. Talking about thin people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Body positivity. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And no, sorry. No, no, Go no, on. no, no, no. No, well, I, I realised I was being sort of cagey, and actually, I, do, I, I, obviously, I can't name anyone or anything, but I think in comedy there is, 
comedy dates very quickly mm. and it's really interesting even from when I started I think back there are jokes that I did 10 years ago that I definitely wouldn't do now yeah. it's not that they were particularly horrendous it's just that you go mm, we don't need to say those things anymore mm. that sort of I, 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 would, I don't stand by that well, joke well the calling it out is the is the thing that I find is a discussion that really yeah. needs to be had because yeah. it also, uh, I know that we keep centering in yeah. on comedy, mm. but it does have parallels to every okay, career. There are two things. There are one, men, men's social, obviously we talk a lot about violence against women, especially uh, with male perpetrators, but men are much more in danger of other men than anyone else. Men's social safety involves yeah. being quiet. Mm. It does then they did a really amazing study on stag do's where they um scientists asked no one was having a nice time every <laughs> single man on the stag do said he was doing it for the rest yeah, yeah. so every Out single of one fear. of them was yeah well, no, but also <laughs> there's a group behavior and, and and what you can't do is go oh no i won't do that or we shouldn't go to a strip club there, there's so many kind of like um, blurred boundaries or going along with the group and that happens because we're a mammal mm. we're a we're a mammal we work in groups men are always assessing their safety it is actually very very and i'm not excusing it but when you feel this oppressive actually racism of the taxi driver is my perfect example and I said years ago I don't know how to deal with it because you sit there quietly thinking you're not agreeing and then I think it was Bridget Christie said just get out of the cab she said even if you don't want to say why to say can you pull over here I'm getting out and if we all do that they'll start going my fares like <laughs> literally you pay them for how far you go yeah. and the minute they start going oh the Polish round it's pull over please <laughs> <laughs> just pull over please and you get another cab because sometimes you, if you feel this oppression of I don't want to have a row with you I don't want to have to yeah. and, um, and that fear response because we're assessing our social safety so I have a big compassion for why men don't um, oh but I had something else what were we saying well, I think oh. it should be a free taxi fare if racism comes into the conversation, no, but it's, but it's, right? It's, Wouldn't that be an amazing this policy? This is why they drive around thinking, and I know not all taxi drivers are racist, so I must say that first, but um, they drive around thinking everyone agrees with them. They think, we all think what they think because no one is saying, I don't... Mm. I don't Until challenged, yeah. yeah. And also because when you're in a cab, you're trying to get somewhere, and you're yeah. like, is this the time or place? Mm. Can I just say one thing about... Sorry, yeah. you want to go first? I'll just, just yeah. remind me to say, the other thing about calling it out is I've got so many friends who have lost work. And that's the other thing. For calling it out. Yeah. One of my friends, she was on a job. She's a white woman. And she called out this job, which she was the only woman in the room. And it wasn't about women. It was about race. They were all white. And she said, I don't, I don't feel comfortable doing this. I think, I'm not saying any of us are this, but we're steered towards certain kinds of stories because of our experience. But didn't do it anymore. And a man who was higher up with her has worked for this job longer said, no. He said, you're not right. We always think, is this diverse? And she went, that's not how it works. It doesn't work with white people going, we've given them a bit. Yeah. That character is this. It has to be this level. And then they went, why are you getting so angry? She went, I'm fed up of having to have the Anyway, she lost the job. <laughs> she lost the job, and they said it's because she got so furious. And, and, she, and all the time she's questioning herself. Yeah. I just should have been quieter, or I should have been nicer about it. And so that's the thing with calling it out. When you feel that thing, you know what happens is people do go, you're difficult. I've heard so much about mm. other people. She's difficult. Yeah, and also, oh, why does she have to bring it up now? Like, we're just trying to get this job. Yeah, yeah, we're all trying done. to get home. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, and one of the things, and again, I'm going to bring up banking because I have a lot of friends who are still in banking. One of the great things that's happened in banking is they've taken this whole conversation about uh, what you were saying, um, you know, oh, a woman got that because she was a woman. They've taken that whole conversation and they've owned it. They've said, you know what? she might not be as meritorious as you but we need more women because women hire women mm. so if this is going to structurally change you better get ready yeah and it's not true that those women are no, not as meritorious but the bank 
at least a couple of the banks, the ones where I know pe people have said, so what? You know what? If you want to go and cry about that, so what? We don't owe that merit. Our, we're trying to change structurally. And I think that is one of the things that I've then said often, not often, but you know, it's, when it's come up, and people have said, well, you know, there's a quota. And I'm like, yeah, because when you have structures that have more women, then things will change. Because this whole idea that you need one woman on this, these are all ideas that are coming from men. Mm. You know what I mean? And I don't, I don't dislike men at all. I think, uh, I think men are great. But structures operate in their own dynamics. They're not one man thinking this or a second man thinking this. Mm. And you need to have more women in decision-making positions to see how things can completely change. Yeah. And also, just in case anyone thinks this is out of the niceness of anyone's heart, is how capitalism works. Yeah. The companies flourish that do that, that have diversity. Well, investment but banks certainly are not doing it out of niceness, let yeah. me tell you that and now. So, yeah. and, so, and the, the live comedy scene, which is flourishing, and the gigs that are flourishing are the most diverse. The mm. ones that didn't diversify... Are dying. Yeah. They died, and they think, they think the world's so unfair, and they don't understand. And this is the thing about television and quotas, the, the people who then realize, oh, I can do that and be rich. It, it, and that's, the live scene is so exciting because every time you go, you're hearing about, you don't any, ever really want to hear about people who are the same as you. You want to hear a slightly different perspective. Mm. I remember the first, I was, maybe it was a new act competition and there was a woman and her kids had just gone away to university and she was doing stand-up as payback. <laughs> and um, and it, it was so brilliant, just her being like, and he did this in his bedroom, and she was like, the, the, and it was yeah. just so fantastic. It was just so fantastic, like a 60-year-old woman being like, right, <laughs> they've gone. That is my literal nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there, there are so many things, and, and, um, and, it, and it's never kindness. People don't come to entertainment. They don't consume anything like out of like, oh, I Had should, get, I should yeah, yeah. get this. They go and they go, oh, wow, I really thought that this environment wouldn't be welcoming. I, lots of people thought, think a live gig is going to be really nasty. Mm. And it's not because you've got so many different people talking about different experiences. Yeah, and that's the hangover of those old clubs and that old vision. It's, it's, it, is, it is peculiar to be having the conversation that people like different things yeah, and yeah. they'd like to hear unusual yeah. and also, things. It does still offer all of those things. If you want to go and see that any type of comic they still exist no one's cancelled them mm. no one's shut them yeah. down there's still just, a the place for them sometimes isn't choosing to go and see them but sometimes they really are well i can't i'll um, be performing at the 99 club <laughs> <in a week>. <laughs> <laughs> i can't uh, i can't relate to um you know being told oh you only got that because you're a, a white uh, middle class straight man but i do have and have had, like most Irish men in comedy, been told several times, of course it's funny because of your voice, isn't yeah. it? It's yeah. just you, and everything's funny in an Irish accent, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. In, in fact, yeah. I actually remember Miles Jupp doing a joke about it, yes. saying, I, I, I mind actually, I'd love to have an Irish accent, then I wouldn't have to write material. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I've, get I've heard an Irish person in this country saying, everyone in Ireland is as funny as the Irish comedians. <laughs> and I wish that the English people just knew that. You could just go over there. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that is, that is actually... Uh, 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 this is just an aside really quick, okay? But when you perform in Ireland as an Irish comedian, it's extra hard because you do get the sense that the, people are looking at you up there going, just as easily be me. Yeah. <laughs> just as... And like I, yeah. He's literally made four or five different decisions in his life, but otherwise, I mean, <laughs> I have a family to feed, but I could do that. 
I wrote down today kind of three reasons that I found uh, in all of the literature and articles that have been written about our jumping off point today, uh, fatigue in relation to what we're doing here, inclusion week, me too, time's up. And the three that came up m most often were the demonization of masculinity, mm -hmm. um, the knock-on effect that all of this is having on young boys, young men, in feeling that their urges are bad yeah. and that they need to double-check themselves. Yeah. The second was, as I've brought up bef just before you came out, the lumping of all these cases into one, uh, mm -hmm. such as Aziz, Cosby, and yes. Weinstein, yes. when clearly they're not all the same. And the final was instilling a fear in both men yeah. and women. Would any of the three of you care yeah. to deal with any of those? Well, Take your pick. Firstly, the media are more irresponsible than anyone in terms of lumping the things together. And um, I don't know why, you know when you're young and you think that the people who are in charge of certain things are going to be experts, and then you just realize they're just people who went to university, and then they become, I, I think um, there could be some really reasonable discussion, but we're not at school. And, and, and actually it's much better to t sort of be juicy or salacious, or I think sometimes things start off reasonable and then it goes through a couple of other people and it becomes worse. Mm. And with, I know it was an internet um, publisher, that Aziz Ansari thing, but there should have been responsible people involved in the, the, the Catman story. Remember that was a, a few weeks before, the New Yorker story that went... Oh, yeah, yeah Cat Person. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cat yeah, yeah, Person yeah. was about exactly the same kind of grey area. Maybe catch the audience up on the Cat Person before. The Cat Person story was, it was a story about sexual ambiguity. It was a, a story about how you can't meet, uh, read somebody else's mind and how within that it cr created a horrible situation where there was kind of awkward or bad sex and then a kind of not wanting to speak to someone, what people kind of called ghosting, and then him turning up to a bar and calling her a slut. And it wasn't a situation, it was such a compassionate situation, I thought, in terms of her acknowledgement of what she had done. And sometimes this early point in dating where you're always second-guessing someone and it's too embarrassing to actually say what you feel or you don't actually know. Mm. And I thought the Aziz Ansari story, for the majority of people who have read it, was really, really, really common. And it was um, a really horrible kiss and tell that was masquerading under the umbrella of something else that was going on. And I think all comedians thought it was, because well, that's all I to speak to. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't mix in any other circles. Talk to people who don't tell jokes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, just thought it was a really horrible thing that happened to him. I thought everyone was very sympathetic. It was, it was terrible that that happened to him. So what's the takeaway from that? What, like, surely, surely that then feeds into some of the points that have, are raised here. Yeah, and the male sexuality thing is really interesting because... Um, or the demonization the, of yes, male exactly. sexuality. Feeling sexually aroused, you can't actually control what your body is aroused by. It's an automatic response. For some people, that um, I had a really difficult situation with an ex-boyfriend who... Um, was really angry there was a fashion for girls wearing very very short denim shorts and when I say girls I mean like you know at Reading and Leeds festivals you go to these places and they're 12 13 but they've also because you can't control when puberty happens and you become you're giving sexual signals but you're not your but your body might be and they're um, well, like halfway across the bum and this boyfriend in Edinburgh got really angry and he said parents sh should tell their daughters what that does to men and I was so few, like, you want teenage girls going out worrying what a 34 year old thinks of their bum. Like, <laughs> how dare you? But he had this, I guess, shame that his body physiologically, he was looking at girls' bums and then going, she's 11. 
Mm. What am I doing? Yeah, yeah. But, but, but you. Can't, so the, the really interesting thing about human beings is that we're animals, but we so we have instinctual responses, but we have decisions that we make. So sexuality is one thing and behavior is another and you can have this really reasonable conversation about yeah. that can i tell you a lovely story um, it's about pornography and um, one of my oh, friends um, everybody sits but, forward but, well, no, no, <laughs> yeah. i just thought this was so i'm researching porn for my i'm writing a book about porn and sex work and and someone i know told me a story that i loved so much it was so perfect and um, he was um he and his friend they were about 13 they knew that his dad had loads of magazines in the back of his car his uh, his mum's out and um, so he goes to the boot of the car with his friend. They get out all the magazines. He decorates his bedroom with them. And it's all kind of women that are holding the everything open, flushing, showing the pink, they call it, and with his big boobs. And he, did, and, he did, and, he, and he fronted it up. He thought, I'm going to have these all over my bedroom, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. They make me feel amazing. Um, and, and it, but he just had this thing of, like, my mum's going to come home and I'm going to say, this is my bedroom now. And, and it, so his mum came home. Oh his mum came home, and she walked up to the stairs, and she saw his room and she said to him I'm really glad you've done this I'm really glad you've done this but because before you and your brother were born I used to have pictures of penises up everywhere I really like penises and I like to look at them around the house and I was really worried it would make you and your brother really uncomfortable so I took them down when you were born but now that you've got your pictures up I guess I'll go and get my pictures amazing so she what started, an amazing well, response know, she started walking down the stairs and he's like ripping down the pictures thinking oh there could be penises everywhere like I can't bear it and I honestly felt it was so joyful and then he I said have you spoken to her about it as an adult and he said he said she walked downstairs thinking where am I going to get penises <laughs> But what I think so delightful is she basically did on the spur of the moment an empathy exercise with him she did yeah. a, how would you feel and, it was such mm. a, and she did not make him feel ashamed for wanting to look at the sexy pictures of course no. he wanted to look at sexy pictures she made it I like sexy pictures yeah. <laughs> let me go and get mine which made the yeah, yeah. Right. if sexy pictures are okay let's yeah. do this because sexuality yeah. isn't the problem unless you're someone's boss and they don't want to come into work because of how you make them feel about mm. what they're being dressed yeah. in and that's an empathy exercise I was talking to Brett earlier they're so often men think they're being cheeky they think they're being cheeky or giving you a compliment. And it's so brilliant that now there should be this language where I can say, I'm not furious with you. I think you don't understand how it makes me feel or mm. what someone else feel. And that's my speech. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I was going to go to you, Sindhu, because the empathy thing that you brought up was a big part of our third episode. And that actually the wokeness is uh, an awakening into empathy for how do you think that would make you feel if mm. that were you? Uh, raising young men is something you've more experience of than anyone on this panel. Mm. Is, is that the challenge that you find greater than, as has been listed here, the demonization of their sexuality and their urges? Um, is what the greater challenge? Mm. Trying to get them to be yeah. empathetic you rather know, than just be the kind of brutish teenagers that we see well, 90% you know what, of the time. I think, for one thing, I think my teenagers are thinking a lot more about this than teenagers 10 years ago or even, you know, or I mean 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, because it's everywhere. Right. And these days kids are all plugged in. They're all, I mean, I never picked up, I used to have to get the newspaper and open it, which is the last thing I did as a teenager. These kids are on their phones and it's all over there. But are they reading Jezebel articles yeah, and Huffington Post? No, but or? I mean, it's on Instagram and it's, on the, the, it's right. in their mind. So they may not be reading intellectually erudite right. work on it, but they know this is a thing. Hashtag me too, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And I think for my son especially, he's, 
17, there is a great deal of confusion. Now, he doesn't typically come to me and say, hey, this is what I think about chicks, ha-ha. I mean, I'm his mother. You know what I mean? I always say to him, do you have a girlfriend? He says, mate, leave it. That's all he <laughs> says to me. Mate, leave Nothing it. nicer than being called mate he as al- a mother. He always right? calls me that. He calls me mate, and he calls me bro, and this and that. Anyway, bro. Bro, leave it. Anyway, so, but what I do think is that sometimes we've, because you know, we talk a lot about politics around the dinner table, and around, you know, on those days that I'm home for dinner, not frequently, I sometimes ask the elder kids what they think, and he's very... You know, he feels angry a lot because he, his anger, because he's a teenager, there's a lot going on emotionally. He feels anger because I think he's confused. I think he thinks, I knew there were a bunch of things, you know, that you do, you ask, you ask out on a date, this, that. But what if I get it all wrong? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I'm uh, putting my efforts. I want to make sure that my son understands what is okay, regardless of what's he, all the different stuff he's hearing. These things are okay, including sexuality, including feeling, you know, attracted to a girl, and what is not okay. Mm. And what is not okay, I have had to learn. Because I'll tell you, when I was younger, I mean, I didn't go out with boys who were like, oh, can, you, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? I would have been like, what is your problem? I was telling you mm. to that. Mm. I mean, if, if, you know, when I was if they, So dating, if they followed what is kind of expected was, yeah, now. when I was dating, if a guy talked before we did anything, I'd be like, this is very boring. What are you doing? Yeah, you're ruining you're it. You're ruining <laughs> the mood. What's your problem? But I appreciate now why it's there. Mm. And so I'm trying to, trying to, as far as I can, make it clear that certain things are fine, certain things you do have to be careful about. But more than anything, I'm trying to make my son understand something he, he subjectively cannot that it is more scary when you're a girl, full stop. Going to the bus stop, it being late at night, being in a, in a place with a weird person, man or woman. When you're 15, 14, he, I said to him, you know, you didn't feel like that, your sisters will, try and understand this. And that I think is something which is a new part of the conversation. Just, you don't have to feel guilty, just understand it's a thing. I think it's brilliant, uh, Sarah, that you bring up uh, porn, and the uh, that is where the conversation across the series is headed into episode five, yeah. because I think more and more men are realizing the effect that those things are having on their brain chemistry, and we are a product of what we consume, just as yeah, your body but, shape but, but is the same. There's also a thing with that exact thing, is some very, I was saying to Brella, very, very bad science about what porn does to the brain, and it's been very widely shared, and it's... Uh, Porn is no different to playing computer games, it's no different to being on Instagram, but we have stigma about sex, so we make it worse. And this thing about, um, there are lots of people who watch porn, and I say people because it's not a gender thing, that they don't actually sexually identify with, uh, for lots of kinds of reasons, and, and, and sometimes because of the way dopamine works as a reward in the brain, it rewards novelty, so you end up sliding. Mm. There are lots of people, the shame is a much bigger problem, not being able to communicate what they're aroused by, um, the kind of things they find themselves looking for online. There's a whole conversation around that that isn't kind of Victorian in it, like you're a bad person. Definitely, definitely bad things happen in porn as an industry, and definitely, definitely people should pay for pornography, and that's the first thing. I think the sneaking, the taking it, and the not thinking that that's an industry where people should... Be paid for paid, being yeah. popular. Yeah. Um, so there's so many. I think there's a really huge conversation about porn, but sometimes the the kick reaction is to go in going. Oh, it's, it's very the knee jerk reaction. It's very bad, and you boys should stop doing it. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. and it's not it. And it's also it's not porn isn't 
just men abusing women. Men are in it, and that's kind of ignored in a feminist argument a lot of the time. It's just men masturbating at home, taking advantage of women, and, and that narrative is not right, and that's why it's not going forward. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to bring Brett in on this because the porn. he's a famous uh, porn. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Strapping. Well, Brett, <laughs> Brett, you do have an unusual life story. I mean, finding yourself uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, where you found yourself at 21 years old uh, yes. is not the standard. And I guess even without that aside and it's up to you whether you want to share what happened when you were 21 you years old they're all guessing yeah, yeah. Yeah. Much yeah, yeah. that's but, what we got time for good night yeah, yeah. but I just uh, I just wonder as a man every day and it's probably like it's probably since starting this podcast yeah. that I've been really conscious of everything I put into my body like every uh, drop of water now I, I monitor and make sure that I'm getting the right thing. And when you start to take that approach, mm -hmm. you start to wonder, well, what am I polluting my mind with in terms of what's in my feed? What, uh, yeah. what stuff is affecting my thought process uh, in terms of its long-form rewards, mm -hmm. in terms of its longer arc of narrative? Well, I think what's so great is you have so many options. Like, there is so much... I mean, ethical porn, feminist porn. There's there's whole like banks of it. That's art. That's deconstructing mm. everything about power and sexuality. But, but usually, people have such a parochial limited view of idea. What it is. Yeah. yeah, I mean, erotica is one thing, and porn is another. But what happened at 21? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my dad had a midlife crisis and bought a strip club in Marbella, and I uh, sort of was sent there by my mum to keep I don't know what she said you never had a gap year but it was also to keep to sort of look out for him and stuff happened and I ended up sort of having to run the place for a year but I had come from university where I'd been studying film and feminism so <laughs> it was a hell of a time a hell of a time and a hell of a show you wrote about yeah. it if people want to seek it out I'm sure there's ways of finding it maybe maybe yeah. um, but did that like in the same way in the same breath as I'm saying the effect yeah. men need to be woke to the idea of what you put in here what it goes in your eyes and ears is affecting how you behave afterwards did you find I that like an experience like that affected yeah, like, your whole I'm, approach to life it took me a very long time to realize because stuff happened beyond sort of because it was the underworld you know and so mafia stuff like dangerous stuff. shit happened and there is a... My sister said to me the other day, you're like a Vietnam vet, and I don't think we took it seriously. <laughs> like, as in, a lot of stuff happened that year, and I don't know that I fully processed it all. But in terms of, like, sexualization and... Your view of women. My view of women is, is fine, but it's, it's that what I thought... I think what I kind of discovered there, and this is purely only my experience, and it may be different everywhere else, but what I observed from watching a strip club for a year in Spain, in this particular place, so it may not apply to everyone, is that the danger of it isn't the dancing and the nudity, it's the, the, the sort of the game of the place, of a sort of lap dancing place, is to kind of make people fall in love. You're like, actually, your money is made sat at the table. It's not, the dancing is the easy bit. It's the bit where you sit with them, and you have dinner, and you, you're playing a, a, a game, but as soon as you uh, monetize something that I feel is like natural, and which is f f uh, human attraction and f 
flirting and, and emotion as soon as well, you feeling sort of, special because actually yeah. that's something that strippers are absolutely amazing at is making whoever they're talking to feel like finally you walked in yeah like everyone else here i'm mm. working with you i'm having the best night yeah. of my life this conversation they're amazing at that but it sort of damages everyone i, I felt it damaged everyone i didn't i don't think anyone left without some damage from that because you're taking because then it becomes if you're doing that all the time in real life nothing makes sense like if you're in a bar with someone and you're getting on part of you's thinking well what's the exchange here rather than we're just people having a i don't know yeah. if it, it, i think there it's, is it's a interesting as a very very extreme it. form of um, self-employment and capitalism because i think in some ways it's very similar to stand-up comedy but if every gig yeah. you went to how good you were at that gig to find how much you got paid and then wh and whether you would do extras and do further yeah. things mm. or um i think it's really hard to turn up at work have already a fee to pay to be yeah. there and mm. if it's not busy enough or they've got too many girls on or just something's happened or you're on an off night something and then not to be able to pay your rent but there's got there's pressures that I think are, again, completely outside sex, but just the economics of that environment. Well, we're approaching like our final little section here. We're close to running out mm -hmm. of time. And I did want to talk about the film industry, given our audience oh, yeah. today, yes. because obviously, Brett, you created and wrote your own movie, Super Bob, and were within the inner, you were, you know, in the works. You saw yeah. the industry from the inside, from a, from a perspective that not a lot of people are used to. At that time, I mean, what were your takeaways from the experience of doing it? And if if you could think about this question, Sindhu and Sarah, what would you most like to see change in that industry towards achieving some of the stuff that we've talked about today? Uh, what's the question? <laughs> You're asking... <laughs> well, what, from, from your perspective, as someone who created stuff. a movie of your own, yeah. from your own pen, yeah. saw it go through the theatres onto yeah. DVD pirated away yeah, pirated to, to heaven fuck. yeah like absolutely yeah. one of the most pirated it's one of the movies pirate yeah. dvds in russia thank you it's thank huge you. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, shout out to all our russian yeah. friends <laughs> just um, impressed someone subtitled it i really i was like you've done a lot of work here fair enough fair play uh, <laughs> what was your takeaway from that experience like when you when you look at it like were you did you leave with the, your head held high going oh, i'd love to do, go through that experience again <laughs> yeah, or did I mean, you leave a beaten man it was, it, I'm sure you all know this, if you're, I mean, film is a nightmare, and I love film more than anything, and the shoot, which we've shot the whole film in 18 days, probably the best time of my life, never been more creatively satisfied, it was wonderful, crew were amazing, cast were amazing, but the getting to that stage was a fucking nightmare, a never-ending sort of struggle, and having to deal with bureaucracy everywhere, and, and also that you had... I can't even tell you. We, we had a, I had a note from like a distributor who said from the script, I was like, I didn't know I was going to get notes from the distributor. They said, um, there's a scene, uh, Super Bob's favorite thing. Uh, a superhero lives in Pe Peckham, was only superhero. And on his day off, he does the only thing he likes, which is he's in a gospel choir. And they, one of their notes was, well, if he's in a gospel choir, wouldn't it be funny if he blacked up? Oh. I was like, no. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. And yeah, we're now not going to work with you. And we left that distributor. But I was like, I can't believe this is... God. This is, that was a legit that was a feedback. a real legit email I received. And I was like, goodbye. In, in what year? And this was 
two years or three years ago? Two, three years ago. That was okay. genuinely... I was looking up something for a joke, and the film Single White Female, yes. which was shortened from the book, which was Single White Female Seeks, other, uh, seeks Same, yeah. that was in the 90s, that there was a film about a white woman who only wants to live with another white woman. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing. I never even reflected yeah. on that yeah. title. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I've never yeah. thought about that. <laughs> never, ever thought about it. Sa- same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, yeah. No, no ethnics need re- uh, yeah. reply. Yeah. Unbelievable. When you, look at, uh, when you look at the industry from our side of the lens, I mean, I can think of a multitude of things that I'd like to, to change. Oh, well, what are they then? Well, for, for me, I think it's really obvious when uh, we're being fed a female movie that's like the male version of this that was successful. Can this work now? And it's really a, a really lowbrow attempt to try and uh, feed us something that ticks a bunch of boxes. I think it's really obvious when that effort is being made. And as laudable as it is, it's, it's, it's arseways. It's completely arseways. It should follow so the model so, so of... I read it so differently. I don't think it is laudable. I think they're trying to make money, so I don't. Th- so I don't ever think they're going. We should give them one, shouldn't we? It's not that they're going. We're going to make half as much on it, and that's still a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and for us to know that before it goes out, which you never know in film, which is so incredibly expensive, and also I think what's so great is you have a choice as an audience member. Like loads of stuff exists in the shops, and you don't think, oh, ridiculous that product. You just don't buy it. Mm. I think it's really good to go, oh, I hate they're trying to do that to me. I'm going to seek out a female-directed film. Like, and it's so easy, and then it's there, and then you become an audience for yeah. work. But and I haven't seen that Oceans... What Oceans is this I one? I saw that one. Eight. I didn't see it. I was like, I can't. I can't, because it annoyed me. Uh, and you I didn't get a part. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm the trifecta! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There is that. That's obviously an issue. She's laughing too much not to, for so that to be funny. an issue. No, it, it annoyed me because there's so much good stuff that mm. women are starting to do and it's coming out. And it's like you're going to put women together in this plot. You know, those same women could have been in another plot that would have been much more interesting. But isn't the problem that that movie is a, is a problem that I'm sure the people in this room face all the time, which is, yeah, but people want stars. Uh, people will go and see a movie with you know, no, sure. stars in it. I'm, I'm sure that's, that's a great movie she's yeah. written. But I went to see it, and the problem isn't the stars. There was all these brilliant people in it. The problem is that they never, ever enjoyed being around each other. And the thing with ocean, the other oceans was these They had a great guys, time together. The camaraderie. And I think lots of people weren't expecting the same thing with women, we, and they just never, ever had a laugh. Like, can we just check? Is, uh, is Ocean's 8 a Fox film? <laughs> okay, go, go. <laughs> carry on. Carry on. Good, let's keep going. Um, I loved it, I loved it. <laughs> but I think one of the things I'd love to see, because you asked us, one of the things I'd love to see is more movies written not by women, for women, so that it's a thing we've mm. done, just because they're interesting. If you look at shows like Veep, in the US, you know, that was, it's really based around Julia Dreyfus. Mm. And she's an unlikable female character, but it's a fantastic show. Killing Eve is going on right now. I think if there was just more space for that, then that would make me very happy because then I could watch stuff that I find interesting. As, I mean, look, I want to see Venom. So I'm not like, I'm not highbrow, let's be clear. But, you know, every once in a while, is, is that a Fox film? Because, okay, <laughs> god damn. Anyway, um, but I'm just saying, I just think that would be great because now we know those stories are there and writing unlikable women 
because we are very real. Notice how I'm saying unlikable women, we. I get it. We are very real, but we're also human. There's, not, there's only stories about women who did fun things or nice things or they did important things. What about women that are just assholes? Mm. You know, let's make, an, because that will then broaden out the area. And this whole thing about female gaze, male gaze, all that will over time go away. It'll just be a, a movie. Well, guys, that is what I really would like Sindhu I can't thank you guys enough for doing this uh, I really do appreciate your time uh, I want to say a, a big thank you to Tara at Fox and everyone at Fox who came along today to Soho Theatre to Tina and Mikey for making it all possible to Brian Connolly for producing and uh, to our guests Brett Goldstein Sindhu V Sarah Pascoe let's have a round of applause for that thank you very much There you have it. Oh my God, what what a banger of an episode. And again, my thanks to Fox for all their help in helping in getting this episode made and filling it with such lovely people in the crowd, an absolutely packed crowd and a super audience to, to have this conversation in front of. If you'd like to be in the audience, it's very, very easy. Just go to uh, otherpalace.co.uk and our next live event will take place on December 6th. I'll put the link in the info so you can click on it and go there. Me, Ramesh Ranganathan, uh, Sophie Hagen, Catherine Bowart, Eleanor Tiernan, Felicity Ward and Carl Donnelly two bumper episodes to close out the year our next uh, episode that we'll be releasing on the feed is of course deborah francis white brona Waugh, and finn taylor a bumper episode that we recorded in september uh, it's taken a while to get this one out because we filmed it as well so you'll be able to see footage from the night clips uh, highlights from it and some of the funniest moments over on our patreon feed that's patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad and finally, just want to say thanks one more time to Fox and all the great employees over there for making this episode possible. I'll see you next time for another episode of Men Behaving Better. Inside my hand, so I dig into my pocket, all my money spent. So I get deep up, still coming up with lint. So I start my mission, leave my residence, thinking how I could I get some dead presidents. I need money. I used to be a stick up kid, so I think of all the devious things I did. I used to roll up, roll up, roll up. I used to roll up, roll up.